from opening day. How exciting that is right now, man. Um, welcome, welcome to the show. It's a Thursday, high day, March 14th. And, uh, you know, it, it's starting to warm up a little bit. It was in the 60s out in New York today, and you can just smell the baseball in the air. And without further ado, I will first introduce uh, uh, my co-conspirators here on the Netsian Podcast, and I'll start with, uh, with Rich from Milford, Connecticut. i got to get it right, Rich. I, I keep adding the new to it. This, this isn't, this isn't uh, uh, New York. This is just Milford. It is, and good evening to you, Sam. I um, I echo everything you said. You, you could sense baseball has turned that final corner, you know, and you could see the uh, the starting line right there, and it and it feels good. Yeah, it certainly does. And also, last but not least, I will welcome uh, Mike Leckelens from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, a Brooklyn boy through and through. What's going on, Mike? What's going on? Another day in the city, you know, and. I kind of feel a little twinge of uh, a sore throat today. As you mentioned, you weren't feeling all that well. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe something's going around with these uh, flaky uh, swings in temperature. Well, as as Robin Williams once said in uh, his Live on Broadway in 2002, it was like 80, 20, 60, 40. It's weather, weather by Sybil. It was weird. But... Uh, uh, without further ado, I'm going to welcome on our featured guest another Brooklyn boy uh, raised in Flatbush, the neighborhood of Flatbush, and that is Gotham Baseball's founder and executive editor, Mark Healy. Mark, we're so thankful that you could join us tonight, the first time you're on the program. Well, I'm really uh, grateful that you guys invited me. I'm really, you know, I enjoy following all you guys on Twitter and, and interacting, and it really creates a it really creates that kind of feeling of, you know, we're all sitting on a stoop back in the day, you know, and that's, that's what I guess <laughs> I love about it the most is that you get to, you know, really just sit and chat about, you know, about the stuff that matters to you most with, with the teams that you follow. So this is, this is a big thrill for me. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. Well, excellent. Like we were just saying right before we, we got on, it's nice to finally put voices to the faces. And we're, we're not going to be on the digital stoop tonight. We're going to be on the audible online digital stoop tonight. And, and uh, I can't wait to get into baseball with you. But before we get into modern day 2019 Mets, I wanted to go, uh, well, f- well, first off, before we actually go into your, your own personal baseball history, if you could just go ahead and and tell our, our listeners, give, give us, uh, as we like to say, the shameless plug about who you are and what you do. Well, as you, as you said when you introduced me, um, I, you know, I founded Gotham Baseball in 2005. It started out as a magazine, and you know, it was my dream to have this place where fans of all ages could go and not just, you know, not just learn about you know, the teams that they were following you know, right now, like you know, the day-to-day, but also learn about you know, the Brooklyn Dodgers, the New York Giants, you know, the, the history of the game, you know, uh, as it was in New York. And we, you know, we call it the past, present, future of New York's game. But, you know, it's been so many different things. You know, it's been a magazine. Uh, it's been a, a website. It's been a podcast. You know, it's, um, you know, now it's going to be a book coming up later in the year with, you know, if I ever finish it, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be out later this year. And basically it's a compilation, compilation of, you know, the greatest players to ever play playing for players from the Mets, players from the Yankees. So, um, you know, so, so it's, it's a big year. It's a big year. We're getting a lot of things 
you know, out there that we haven't in a long time. And, you know, Gotham is just, it's just something that like, I, I, I just can't quit. You know, it's just something that I've, uh, no matter what has befallen it, <laughs> you know, no matter what drama, no matter what roller coaster ride we've been on. Um, I've just, uh, it's always been something that, you know, uh, that, that's had my passion and other people have come along for the ride over the years. Uh, I know you guys know who Todd Radham is, uh, Todd, um, you know, really, uh, breathed a lot of life into Gotham when he helped me redesign, uh, you know, the brand, his logo is incredible. And when you guys see the things that he designs for the book, like your minds are going to just be blown. I mean, having a guy like Todd along for the ride and John Panisi, our great artist, it's just so many people over the years have just lent their expertise and lent their passion to something that was already my passion. So it's really exciting. Um, it's an exciting time. And, you know, when you love baseball like I do and like I know you guys do, it's pretty amazing when you can kind of – bring it to fruition, you know, bring it into something other than just your own personal enjoyment and, and share it with others. So that's really kind of the big deal of, of, of Gotham, at least right now. Like I'm really enjoying the whole, the whole journey. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And we, we uh, absolutely love just covering all different aspects of not only Mets baseball, but across uh, New York baseball history, uh, whether, you know, even, even at certain points, even though we focus on the national league side of things, uh, um, I know that we've gotten into a habit, uh, recently of even, you know, just talking about the, the years that the Yankees were having, uh, um, and, and just for a little shameless plug on our end, when we're not doing uh, spring training episodes, we have uniform number episodes basically. And, and we go over the, the uh, players to wear the number in the history of the Mets. But if, if there's no corresponding year, we'll go over the Dodgers and we'll go over the Giants of that year. Let's take it like 1934. We'll talk about, uh, uh, you know, what, what, what the record was. And obviously the Dodgers were the daffiness boys during those. But not, without going off too much of a tangent, we'll definitely want to have you back on when we have the, uh, the uniform number. So that's going to be an exciting time. And, and good luck with the book, uh, going forward too so uh like i mentioned it, it it sounds like you grew up in flatbush but if you could not only give us your baseball history but uh your general new york history uh how you know how you you were raised or uh well i i as you said i grew up in flatbush i grew up on east 39th street and and back back in those days you know everybody went by their parish you know what parish did you belong to because I'm, you know, I'm a catholic kid so you know it was an italian irish neighborhood so I was the St. Vinny's kid, St. Vinny Barrett. And, you know, then, then we had, you know, the guys from St. Thomas, you know, the guys from, you know, Little Flower. So, uh, and then we all wound up going to high school together. So it was like, uh, and a lot of those guys, um, I actually still keep in touch with, we get together like two or three times a year, which is awesome. And living in Rockaway, uh, not living in Rockaway, but working in Rockaway at the Wave, uh, the newspaper that I, I've been the uh, the editor of uh, since 2014. So many people that grew up in Flatbush now live there. So like you know, any given day I could walk, you know, I could I could cross the street and see someone that I played CYO basketball with, you know, like 30 years ago. So um, you know, Brooklyn was a great place growing up, and I mentioned the stoop before, and that's what we did. We played wiffle ball, we played stoop ball. Uh, one of us would go to the 
the the candy store, Joe's Candy Store, pick up the Daily News, and we talk about the games. You know, we talk about the you know, we 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 make the comparison that Lima Zilli, you know, was was better than you know. <laughs> was better than anybody on the on the Yankees we'd make the you know the, the comparisons that now like seem ridiculous you know we didn't have sabermetrics back then you know we didn't have baseballreference.com so we did everything on the based on the box scores we did everything based on our own what we thought was our own expertise our own eye test and that's how we analyzed you know that's that's what we that's how we based our opinions on how good players were and it was it was you really had to know your stuff in my neighborhood you know, someone who wore a Yankee hat that didn't know, you know, you know, how Larry Milborn came to be a Yankee, you know, you'd lose your hat. I mean, somebody else in the block would be wearing that hat by the end of the day. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like that kind of you better bring your A game when you're going to sit down and talk baseball with us. And, you know, it, it ran across the other sports as well. We were all fans of other teams, of, of other teams and other sports. But really baseball was the thing that kind of, drew us all together so that you know that was and I you know I was in Brooklyn until my sophomore year of high school then we moved to Queens and uh you know everything changed you know I just didn't have the same kind of friends and I think I I think Sam I think I sent you this quote the other day you know the friends that you make when you're 12 and 13 you don't ever have friends like that again and it's so true you know the line from Stand By Me you know you just don't and so I was kind of in limbo all the years I was in Queens. So it was, it was odd. It was like, but Brooklyn was like kind of where I cut my teeth. And that's kind of think about growing up in that neighborhood and how tight everybody was. Um, you know, it just, it just doesn't seem the same, you know, now. And I know that's the, uh, the romantic in me, but, you know, it just, it's, you have, you know, you you feel different kind of, you feel a different kind of vibe. I, I, I'm lucky enough that I get to experience that a lot. Well, one of the things that I've just noticed in general is, is even if you don't have them on a day-to-day basis, you just pick up where you left off with the, the people that you've known forever. It, 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 right. it, it's, just, it, it's seamless. It, it's just joining once more the, the river midstream, even if you, you know, there, there's going to be some things that you miss, obviously, uh, and but it, it, there will always be that feeling once you guys get get back together. And um, the uh, I'm, I'm going to go before we get into everything. I think this is a, this is a good segue in terms of talking about how it's not the same and, and uh, the youth and and the fact that you were more attracted to baseball. And I, I think that it had to do certainly with with growing up in Brooklyn. But but there's just something about the game that that brings you in uh, on a daily conversational basis more than the other, the other sports. Um, and, you know, we have a lot to talk about, not only on the Mets side of things, but also some rule changes that came out today, potential rule changes that came out today. Uh, but before we do, I want to jump over to Rich to see if he had anything he wanted to ask Mark before we get started. So, Mark, you know, in a case like this, the question I would ask you is, what was the inspiration for getting going, you know, with, with the Gotham baseball idea? Like, what what inspired you? Um, was it something where you, you got into blogging because you were reading other blogs, or did you decide, you know, to take that to another level? How did it all start for you? It all kind of started with um, – I was working at Associated Press, and I was covering mm-hmm. baseball. 
And I, a friend of mine, Pete Catapano, who now is the, uh, he works for Dow Jones, he came with us uh, at AP. And he was, I knew that he was um, the uh, managing editor of a Brooklyn Weekly called the Brooklyn Skyline. And it was right around that time that the Mets bought the Pittsfield team from the Blue Jays and moved it to Queens with, with, with the intent of moving it to Brooklyn. So this is around 2000. So I said to my friend Pete, I said, Pete, yeah. I said, well, you know, you've got to have me do it. And he said, well, we, are, we already have someone. And I was like, yeah, I don't care. I, you know, whoever you have is not as good as me. I will do it for free. I will cover, you know, the Cyclones. I have to do it. I said, you know, my dad was a huge Brooklyn Dodger fan. I know everything there is to know about the Brooklyn Dodgers. You know, the first, one of the first books I ever read was The Boys of Summer. Um, you know, I know this stuff. I said, I'd be perfect, you know. So finally he was like, fine, you can do it. I'll pay you, you know. And I started covering uh, the first season of the Cyclones in 2001. And it was around that time that, you know, being there every day and, and you know, that first year they brought in a lot of old Brooklyn Dodgers, Carl Erskine, Duke Snyder, uh, you know, just, just a whole bunch of people came by. Ernie Harwell came down one day, and I got to interview Ernie Harwell. Uh, it was just so awesome, you know, uh, that, that every night nostalgia, Coney Island, the summer of the Cyclones, I always call it. Or maybe a little bit later, like 2002, 2003, uh, my mom, uh, who passed away uh, right before Thanksgiving um, this year, uh, bought me a book. Um, celebrating baseball history. You know, my mom would always go and buy me these books from like, you know, Costco, you know, and uh, in this all about Jack Chesbro uh, for the New York Highlanders winning a, a MLB record 41 games. And as I'm reading it, I'm saying to myself, is that still the record? I mean, has anyone won, won 41 games? And, you know, and, and at that time, I, I, you know, even at that time, I considered myself a historian. I'm like, Jack Chesbro, I never heard of this guy before. So that kind of led to, that was the inspiration. You know, that reading that story, I said to myself, if I don't know that, there's got to be people that don't know that, right? So I wanted to create, like I said, a, you know, a destination, a place where people could go and not just read about what the Mets did the night before or what trade rumors were out there, but also to learn about the history of the game so that, you'd have that recall. You'd be able to compare. So it's one thing to just compare somebody that, you know, uh, between Ike Davis and Lucas Duda. That's one thing to compare two guys that are fighting for the same position. But it's a, quite another to be able to say, well, you that Pete Reeser was the best player you ever saw, and then he had Willie Mays. How many people don't know who Pete Reeser is? Um, you know, so it was like that fascination with the history of the game uh, that really inspired me to create Gotham Baseball. That's awesome. Great. And, uh, Mike, I know, you know, you, you, I'm not sure if you're going to start with Brooklyn, but it usually always ends with it. Well, the, the, the fact is, I feel like I'm listening to myself. You're my brother from another mother. That's uh, it. You know, that's the way we grew up. I can't explain it or describe it. Or, or, or you know, uh, celebrated any better than 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 Mark has to this to this point. Uh, he speaks the truth, and 
uh, uh, I'm a little short for words because you covered it all. And I, I, my my thing is, I feel like I'm a little pressed for time. I still live in Brooklyn, uh, but I have no intentions of retiring here. I'm sad to say, but I'm not going to allow the city and state to suck my retirement dry. <laughs> so I'm motivated <laughs> to leave, not just yet, but there's a lot of research, a lot of things I'm, I'm delving into, and I feel like I'm pressed for time before I retire. I still got years to go. Uh, but, Mark, if you've, if you've never visited, and, and I'm sure you have, I'm going to assume this, that you've been to Greenwood Cemetery. And if you haven't, sure, you know, sure. I'm, I'm elbow deep researching guys from the 1860s in the 1870s. And uh, I tell you what, if you ever start making... Hey, I, I once... Um, uh, the guys that run the New York Gothams, uh, my friend Ken Schlatt... Uh, uh, I'm Gotham very familiar with them. The I go to the games. Very yeah, well, back in the day, we used to run. We used to run when Gotham actually had a budget. We actually, we actually used to sponsor uh, an 1860s vintage baseball tournament in Central Park called the Gotham Cup. Yep. And the Gothams would play, and teams from, come from all over. We did it three years in a row, uh, and it was a fantastic time. So you got me on that. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I actually played uh, a couple of times. My my uh, my nickname was Ink, you know, because of the because because of the scribe in me, and uh, uh, I, it was a blast. I got such a kick out of that whole experience. So I'm right there with you, Mike. Sam, this is a perfect segue with regards to the rule changes and whatnot because, you know, Mark is, you know, he's knowledgeable of this and I'm getting into it. You know, the rules have forever been evolving in baseball. Uh, There were seven balls and four strikes. I mean, we can go on and on and on. You can catch a ball, a a, a batted ball on one bounce and it was an out. Uh, and, and it just reconfigures the whole strategy of the game when you start talking uh, catchers without gloves and without masks and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and that being said, you know, let's indeed segue because the rule changes. Here I am. I just turned 52. And, you know, I, I've seen the advent of the DH and free agency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But these rules are I, – I, I, they're uh, – they're ponderous. There, I'm aghast. So take it away, host. Sam, Sam, is he, Sam? Is, he, is he there? Well, Sam, all right, we got. No, I, I tend I tend to have some some hiccups, and I don't unmute myself, Mark. So so here I am uh, uh, once hey, more. When I was on, and it's funny hey, because Sam, let me tell you something. I did it all the time when I was on Serious, so it has nothing to do with. <laughs> It's a great segue too, because I, I was going to talk about the, the uh, um, technology of the modern era and how it affects the camaraderie of friends. And, you know, uh, it, it, it basically, like you were saying with uh, the, the type of friends you had when you were 11 or 12, you know, I, I, I typically, I tend to have trouble focusing. And I'm so uber aware of not being able to focus that, that I'm, I try to, you know, I don't always do a good job with it, but I'm very, try to be very present ab- about focusing. I'm, I'm an interrupter. I talk loudly over people and I try to bring that stuff back, or at least maybe I'm too overcritical of myself about it. But what I do notice too, is even with my friends that, that I have uh, uh, this day and age, they're, they're not necessarily as, aware of this. I, I, I don't, I, 
I'm sometimes flabbergasted as to how uh, uh, okay everybody is with the lack of focus that they have, whether it's my friends or whether it's society uh, overall. And and that's what I, I tend to find, whether, whether it's going to the phones, whether whether it's just changing topics. And I love tangents. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite words. But I, it, it, it tends to bother me how unfocused a lot of people in, this, in, in, in the ADHD generation are. Um, and, and, it, and it's something that I was thinking about, that you were, were able to come here almost once a week and just talk about basically one topic for, for sometimes even two hours and just talk about the Mets and, and go, go from uh, Met topic to Met topic to Met topic, including baseball. And I think that something that, that with these rule changes and, and something that Rob Manfred has been talking about doing in general is he wants to – to get the, the youth back, that apparently everybody thinks that the, the youth, have, they've lost uh, the, the youth of baseball. And I'm not exactly sure what these rule changes do to try to get people uh, uh, without attention spans on board one way or the other. And I haven't been able to look over. I, I think the most, the most um, talked about one is the three batter minimum. But, I'm, uh, Rich, you sent us the article prior to – uh, us getting online, and so I'm going to go ahead and just quote from USA Today, uh, Bob Nightingale, and I know that it was a big deal that somebody wasn't, uh, didn't receive credit this morning, so I have to make sure to give credit where credit's due. Bob Nightingale of USA Today wrote the article, and in it, he uh, lists the rule changes that were come up, uh, that, that uh, happened in the, um, uh, between the MLB and the union on Thursday night. So, uh, pitchers will be required to face a minimum of three batters in a game beginning in 2020. There will be a single July 31st trade deadline starting this season with teams prohibited from making any type of trade after that date. Mound visits will be reduced from six to five during games uh, beginning this year and perhaps reduced to four visits in 2020. Uh, there will be an all-star election day starting this summer where fans can determine the starting players in the all-star game with 24-hour voting. The Home Run Derby will now pay $1 million to the winning uh, player. Commercial breaks during innings will be shortened by 20 seconds to two minutes. Uh, position players will be prohibited from pitching in games that don't go into extra innings unless the team is ahead or behind by at least eight runs. Uh, committee, committees will be appointed by the commissioner's office and the union to formally discuss the game's economic concerns. They will study ways to make the free agent market more active. They will discuss eliminating the incentive for teams from purposefully losing to gain top draft picks. They will explore efforts to prevent teams from manipulating service time that delays the top prospects from being called up in the major leagues. And uh, the minimum time a player spends on the injured list will be increased back to 15 days from 10. And finally, beginning in 2020, all teams will have a 28-man roster in the final months of September after having 26-man roster the first five months of the season. There's obviously a lot to unpack there, but Mark, I want to go to you first. If you can, what, what, you know, of all of those, what is first on your mind? First thing on my mind is mostly as paperwork, honestly. I mean, you know, unless you are – an avid fantasy baseball player, which I no longer am, uh, unless you are um, a general manager of a baseball team, 
the majority of that stuff, who cares? You know, really. Um, the only time I would love the uh, rosters expanding in September was when the Mets sucked and we got a chance to look at all the minor league guys. But thanks to places like MetsMiners.net and MetsMorize.com, you know, uh, I, I don't need to see them. You know, like I, I get such great reports from people that I know in the business, not only Michael Mayer, but, you know, people like Joe DeMeo and people like that who are my friends who give me really good, honest scouting reports on the players that, you know, I'm most interested in. At the end of the day, the only thing I think that will really matter, and I actually think that the three-pitcher minimum, a lot of people are moaning and groaning about it. They hate it. They, uh, you know, Steve Phillips talked about how terrible it was today. Um, my first instinct is to always disagree with anything Steve Phillips says. Um, but I, I really think at the end of the day, I actually have despised the specialization of the bullpens. And I think that uh, it forces teams to look for specialization rather than trying to get relievers that can get guys on, you know, guys that bat, but, you know, to be able to get lefties and righties out on a, on a, you know, on a, on a regular basis. Um, I, I, I don't see, I, look, like I said, my gut is it doesn't really bother me that much. It doesn't bother me the way other people have are so upset about it. It's such a big deal to these people. Um, I, it's not a big deal to me. So it's like you know what? You, now you, you can't have just a loogie on your on in your bullpen. And you know what? Half of the time when you leave your loogie in, he gets man, you know he gets manhandled anyway. So to me, this forces teams to stop you know screwing around with you know the Tony Larusa nine pitchers in one inning. I hate it. You know, unless it's the unless it's the the, the, the playoffs, and maybe that's when it'll come into play. Maybe that's when I'll care. Is the postseason, but in the regular season, I don't know. I like I said, maybe I have to see it for it to irritate me. But right now, from a, a theoretical standpoint, it doesn't bother me that much. And I think the other thing uh, is is the trade deadline. I think that is going to make for an awesome, you know couple of weeks before the trade deadline because then there's not going to be any waivers and no deals made after that. So it'll force teams to kind of decide whether or not they're in it to win it. And I, I kind of dig that. Um, but those are the two things. Like I said, I think everything else is paperwork, but I, I think those two things are the things that will be most discussed. And I know most people are probably in the minority that the three batter minimum doesn't bother me. You bring up a lot of good points about it right there, and, and it's going to be interesting us uh, breaking it down uh, here. Um, so I, I think, Rich, I'm, I'm going to go to you next uh, about everything. And, and um, obviously, you know, the three batter minimum is, is, I think, the number one thing on everybody's mind. Uh, the home run derby getting $1 million, that'll be interesting to see. How, I, I have a feeling maybe we'll we'll be – uh, it, you know, talking charities at some point because we're, you know, unless unless you're talking about Cody Bellinger who hasn't made arbitration yet, you know, they're already making a lot of money. But, uh, Rich, what what's interesting to me uh, now having read these is the the commercial breaks during innings will be shortened by 20 seconds to two minutes. And considering that we always uh, joshed on them of how much they're they're, you know, they had extended the commercial breaks because of money and how you know they would never 
let's say they would never go back to 154 games scheduled because of money, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I actually, you know, I actually think that that is interesting that they're, they're trying to keep people's focus on baseball. Yeah. You know, the, the spirit of that rule obviously is to speed up the game as is the 22nd reduction in the um, in between inning sessions there. And I'm okay with that because the fact is, you guys were talking about it earlier, the attention span of the younger generation isn't what it was when we were kids. And so they want the game to move at a quicker pace. And you could, you know, sit here and you could argue about that and you could say um, that that's terrible and all that. Okay, maybe it is, but th- there's reality. The demographic that baseball needs to appeal to because, you know, I'm over 50 now, and, and they don't want me. I mean, although I buy tickets, I have my partial Mets season plan, I'm not the guy they're looking for. They're looking for the 25-year-old who will have money to spend for 20 to 30 more years. And if that person wants a quicker pace game, they have to try to accommodate their customer or their potential customer. So I get it. You know, do I like the three-batter minimum thing? You know, I'm with Mark on that one. It doesn't bother me because – let the managers be more strategic. You know what I mean? So if you have lefty coming up, followed by righty, followed by lefty, and you know you have to leave your guy in there, now the, the analytics you're doing in your head as a manager are that much more complicated. Would I rather have the righty against, you know, understanding there are two lefties coming up, do I have a crossover guy, or do I want to use my lefty because two of the three net guys are left-handed and, and my lefty's devastating on left-handers. Maybe we pitch around the right-hander. There's all this stuff that it will introduce to the game and maybe speed it up at the same time. So I don't have a problem with that, and I'll try to be quick going through my thoughts on these rule changes. Um, No problem with that. The trade deadline, I'm totally with you, Mark. The trade deadline is going to make for an exciting month of July because the deals have to get done. And quite frankly, guys, the idea that the trade deadline was July 31st, but, but nah, not really, because you can get guys through waivers and all. That was bullshit. I mean, you know, have one damn trade deadline like other sports do. Thank God they're doing that. And then the other one that I think is great is the, the 26-man roster. 26-man roster to 28 in September. That is such a good idea because – you need an extra player now. You know, we, we all see it. The teams could use the extra player. It'll keep the union happy because it's one more union job, and that's fine. We don't want to strike, so that's good. And then the idea that everybody goes to 28 in September, thank goodness. The idea that you're playing your, your stretch run games with guys, 15 more guys who weren't there all year, I've never understood the sense of that. In the rare occasions when I've spoken to former players, they don't understand the sense of it. They don't get it. It it makes no sense other than what Mark said earlier, and you get a chance to look at some guys you haven't seen before. But these are important pennant race games. Why are we introducing 15 more players? Remember when the Expos guys were run by Major League Baseball and they didn't call anybody up in September? Now you have unfair competition. What in the hell was that about? So now you're going to have 26-man roster. Everybody is 28 in September. I love all three of those rule changes, quite frankly. And, you know, the other stuff about the, you know, the, the 15-day DL versus 10, eh, I don't think they gave 10 long enough, quite honestly, to see if that had an impact, but whatever. And I'm not going to get too worked up about the other ones. But I'm, I'm kind of liking what I see, quite frankly. So, so the only thing I would say in terms of the um, the three batter uh, uh, thing, and I'll 
loop this over to you, Mike, is I saw somebody, and I, I wish I could quote their tweet right now, but it was just mentioning that, you know, they're going to have to reconsider fatigue and, and injury when it comes to uh, a certain pitchers uh, uh, playing every two to three days. So, so what's, what's your take? Where, where do you go from here, Mike? Science is always correct until proven otherwise. And, it, you know, how does that happen? Through science. So what we know today will probably change a year from now, two years from now. You know what I'm trying to say. I don't have a problem with the rule changes as as they pertain to administrative things. I don't have a problem with roster sizes or the trade deadline or anything like that. Those are those issues to me. Uh, I they they don't bother me much. I just have a problem when they these need to me they're knee jerk reactions. They're overreactions. Uh, to the game itself, I, I don't. I, that's what I'm not appreciating about this, because uh, I do think it's overreactive. Now, Rich brings up a very valid point that you know they got us; they're not worried about us. That's marketing 101. Uh, it's the younger generation that they want. In baseball, you know, we know they just wrote off a whole generation, uh, and, and now they're trying to reestablish a relationship with a newer generation. Uh, look, all you need to do is look, go look at a ball game from the seventies. You know, any any, any game on, on on either on either team's network. You know, when they show games from the seventies, just be ready to pitch and be ready to bat. Stay on the mound and stay in the box. And games routinely were played out within two to two and a half hours. If you really were interested in speeding up the game, stop with this nonsense of instant replay. Just put a fifth umpire up in the sky. He monitors everything. You need umpires on the field to make calls for continuity of play. But the guy upstairs has it all figured out, and he should be mic'd up with the crew chief and say, put this guy on second, put that guy back on first, this is what happened. Done. By the time the next batter steps into the batter's box, the issue is resolved. That's how they can save time. Good point. You know, so uh, there's a lot of yeah. aspects yeah. to this just that are just complete knee jerk to me. They're just not necessary. And and as you say, Sam, you know there are fatigue issues here. There there is risk of injury. Uh, I I don't like when they start messing with the strategy of baseball itself. Let the game evolve, because two three years down the line, you know somebody's going to come up with a bright idea and sports has always followed the leader. It's just who has the latest, greatest, best idea. And this is just where we're locked in now. And and we think this game is so analytically driven, but look at what the world champion Red Sox just did. They have a manager who takes the analytics, looks at it, takes what he wants, throws it to the side and manages now, a lot of GMs aren't, you know, uh, confident enough to relinquish that kind of power or give that kind of autonomy. But baseball is follow the leader. And that's why I don't like when, you know, the powers that be try to inject themselves into the game. If they want to win back fans and win back a generation and win back young people, well, they do better on the relationship side. Make your players go out there and sign autographs. 
You know what I mean? There's other ways to go about it. There's millions of ways to invite a whole new generation of fans into the game. Well, for instance, um, I, I mean, this is one of the things that I, I like about Twitter, and I'll go back to you, Mark, right after this, but uh, it, it kind of uh, it, it removes that fourth wall, if you will, in many ways because a lot of times, I mean, over the last week, I've interacted in some fashion with both Mark Hamill and Johan Santana on Twitter. Uh, um, and that just made my my week, you know, on both accounts. I mean, it's just like you got Luke Skywalker and the only Mets no hitter. Uh, I, I I'm 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 a little kid again uh, with 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 that stuff. But um, I I I wanted to say that I I, I actually I, I'm kind I kind of went blank on uh, something that came up in my mind with uh, with what Mike just said. But I'll go back to you, Mark. Is there any points you wanna you wanna address from everything the guys have just said? No, I think we're we're pretty much on the same. We're all pretty much on the same page, I think, as far as the understanding the reality, understanding the, the, the need to adapt and overcome. But also, I want to address something that Mike said, and that is having the crew chief be, you know, the eye in the sky. You know, yeah, that, I, that, I really that was, think that, that was where I was going to go to. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, I felt that. I really felt that that's something I actually talked about a year or two ago uh, with an umpire. Um, I used to hang out at Foley's in New York a lot. And, you know, a lot of umpires would go in there, and uh, including Angel Hernandez. And, yeah, he was as much a, of a jerk in real life as he is, as you think he is. But, <laughs> Uh, I always wondered that too, and I met him, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, you are a jerk." But um, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he is though. Oh God, God Almighty! But anyway, um, I, I'm a little out of breath because I just walked up the stairs because you know I'm old. But um, the uh, talking about the pace of the game, you you really want to you really want to make the game quicker. Well, just make the strike zone the way it's supposed to be. You know, and just call the strike the way it's supposed to be called. Here, here. And make these guys swing and put, you know, make contact. You know, get rid of the launch angle. Make it harder for these guys to get on base. And the game will be really quick then. You know, that's what you do when you watch a game from the 70s. What, you know, what, 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 um, who was that that mentioned that before about the, about watching a game from the 70s and you see not only do they stay in the box, but just how quickly the pitchers work, how quickly the umpire works, calling the strikes as they were, as God intended, you know, do that. And you're in most of your, you're talking about a half an hour, a game time, 45 minutes of game time. They're going to go by the wayside because you're not giving these guys, a, you know, the strike zone, the size of a dime. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, I think that, I think that we overthink, um, as much as baseball is overthinking the way it's going to deal with the change of pace, uh, we as fans, especially us older guys that have seen the game evolve a couple of times over, um, maybe we are overthinking it maybe a little bit too. And I include myself in that, in that, you know, in that criticism, but maybe we're overthinking it too. 
You know, uh, it, it has been like since Instant Replay was implemented, Rich, I've just been thinking to myself, as they've been tinkering with all these different things with a clock and, and, you know, shortening the commercial breaks, as they said. I mean, like, you know, we're all with Keith when we're just like, like, just make a decision already. Why do we all have to wait for, and if it's, if it's one crew in, uh, uh, you know, Chelsea at MLB Advanced Media reviewing all 15 games that are going on that night or however many, you know, it, it, it's supposed to be. That, that's just, we have to wait for one crew to be done with the Astros-Royals game, and, and, and then they're going to come and, and deal with the Mets game. It's just always like, is it really going to be that much more money to, be, to, to, to have a fifth umpire in every single ballpark? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, there's too much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, there's just too much money in the game for it not to afford it. Sorry. You're right. Exactly. And, you know, uh, it makes no sense to anyone why, you know, the NHL has it right. You know, they call Toronto. Toronto reviews the goals. They review, you know, I think in, in some cases, correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys are huge hockey watchers, but. You know they'll review if the goal if the puck crossed the line to see if it was in. They, they sometimes review offsides, I believe, or, or whatever it is. But it, it's never you don't see the ref skate over to, to the bench, put a headset on, and go through this nonsensical process with you know five people standing there with with these weird headsets. You don't see that. It, it's automatic. There's somebody like you guys have been saying. There's somebody watching that game and every game that day or that night. And that person is advising the ref automatically. Like the person has already reviewed it. You don't have to go ask the person and wait. And then that person watches six different feeds, makes a decision, communicates it onto the field. This person has already done it. And, you know, if there's a controversial play, fair or foul, anything like that, uh, you know, for, safe or out, person's watching the game is already on top of that stuff. They've got to address the instant replay thing. I mean, it is – Quite, my opinion of instant replay in baseball, there's no other word but embarrassing. The sport embarrasses itself when it has to stop the action on the field. These umpires take that Sunday afternoon stroll over to the side. The people come out with the headsets and the bags and all that. I mean, come on. What are you, kidding me? You know, have somebody watching every game like you've been saying. It can't be a cost issue. What are you going to pay these people? It's a $5 billion industry. What, what are you going to, what's it going to cost to, to pay these people? Someone would have to explain to me why that hasn't been done already, because I can't see any valid reason for it. And, uh, Mark, uh, I'm going to go to Mike next on it, but it's, I always uh, make this comparison to the guy that comes out with that big box uh, for the headset so, so the umpires can, can uh, listen in to Chelsea. But uh, considering that you and I were recently talking about the Big Lebowski, and we'll have to continue that conversation another time and probably in person, uh, but I always say it's like it, it, it's 2019, and, and yet these guys are coming out like they're, they're the, uh, the dude's phone from the Big Lebowski. It's just like, where, where's the iPad? You know what I mean? Like, like it's just like, you know, Donnie's just going to be there and telling them, phone's ringing, dude. Thank you, Donnie. But any, anyway, um, I, I wanted to go uh, to something else you, um, you, you brought up, Mark, uh, um, and, and I'm going to go to Mike with it. But, but I, I think the, the chess cold is completely uh, uh, 
having a, a rampant issues with my brain, and I'm totally spacing on, on what else you brought up uh, about about some of – oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, Mike, one of the things that we loved about R.A. Dickey when he was here was how he, he was consistently the fastest pitcher in baseball between pitches. And, and Mark, you brought up something about that uh, in, in terms of both the batter and the pitcher. Uh, um, and, and, and I'm not sure exactly how you try to police that necessarily, but that's something that I think the union as a whole, uh, Mike, can, can probably try to get these guys to do it. It's just like, you know, you, you, you have to get to the next pitch as fast as possible. I know you're trying to think and you have your strategy and you have your, everybody has their quirks, uh, like, you know, no more Garcia Parra style, but, but that's one of the things we loved about R.A. Dickey, how old school he was and how quickly he got back to the, the task at hand. He did work quickly, and you're speaking of a guy who had a, a, a major sense of accountability, and he preached it in the locker room. Uh, he was old school in every in every which way, shape, and form. Uh, that's it. That's it. You know, look, tighten up, tighten yourselves up. Look, look yourselves in the mirror and tighten yourselves up. Clean up dirty habits. Clean up bad habits. Clean up time-consuming habits that everyone takes for granted now. You know, back in the day, Thurman Munson was the exception because after every pitch, he used to have to rearrange, you know, readjust his batting gloves. But he was just that, the exception. Now, everybody does it. That's the problem. There's always, you know, the genesis. And before you know it, it's epidemic. So that's my answer, Sam. Clean up bad habits and the game will speed up, and people will find it far more intriguing to include the young generation. Exactly, and we definitely need to move on uh, uh, to, to Mets stuff, but um, I'm, I was trying to, to space – I was trying to not space on this name, and I think I finally – I got it, Mark, uh, of the, the anti-RA ticket. It was Daisuke Matsuzaka, right? We saw Mark. Steve Traxel. Yeah, Steve Traxel too. Uh, Mark, Mark, sorry, I didn't realize the call had dropped. Uh, where, where did you leave off? No, I, 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 uh, I heard everything. Steve Traxel is the is the name that you're looking for. <laughs> Steve Traxel. Steve, Steve Traxel. Somebody said it. Somebody said it before well, I said right? it, and I thought that you heard me say it. But Steve, Tra- oh my God, the absolute worst. The absolute worst. I've never hated a pitcher more than Steve Traxel. And I know he was a Met, and I know he won 16 <laughs> games one year. I'm telling you, hated the guy like nobody's business. I mean, I'd be at the game. And it was, I remember going that one summer. Oh, my God. It was like he pitched every game I went to. And it was just, oh, my God. It was terrible. Now, like when I was a kid, I remember loving Mike Hargrove, you know, when he was a player. That's how old I am. I'm, I'm as old as you guys. Mike Hargrove was a human rain delay. You know, he'd step out of yeah. the box, you know, mess with his I – mean, he stunk. He wasn't even a good player. Like, he was okay. Yeah. Like, he was like an okay player. I didn't mind it when it was a, was a hitter, you know, because I felt like, okay, the hitter's going to play cat and mouse, you know, with the pitcher, especially when it was a great pitcher. You know, it was somebody like, you know, Steve Colton or somebody like, you know, Jack Morris or somebody like that, you know, guys who, you know, just were, you know, just staring at the plate 
and guys like Hargrove and guys like, you know, Eddie Murray, Steve Garvey, these guys, it was just like that cat and mouse game. And, and frankly, you know, going back to what you guys were saying about, you know, getting the HDHD crowd and these kids and you know what, I really don't care. You know, I'm not going to, I don't want the game to be ruined because we have to, you know, we have to dictate it to the children. Nobody dictated baseball to me when I was a kid. You either liked it or you didn't. And if that means the game is going to shrink, you know, if that means the game is going to become more like hockey where you have a hardcore fan base and we're not going to be the number one sport or the number two sport, well, that's the way it's going to be. Because I'm telling you right now, the NBA, if, 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 point. if Major League Baseball becomes like the NBA where these Instagram morons or it becomes like, you know, the NFL where we, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna celebrate, you know, when we make a tackle, when we do our job, you know, uh, where, where I miss a foul shot and I get to shake everybody's hand afterwards. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, I get it. I get that you want to, I get that you want to give the game to the next generation, but if the next generation doesn't want it, well then you know what? Then the game's going to change regardless of what we do to it. And if we ruin it for the people that actually go, that actually watch, that actually listen on their, how many people listen on the radio under the age of 30? Does that mean we should get rid of games on the radio? I love listening to games on the radio. So, you know, this is the this is the grumpy old man in me. But you know, anybody that has known me my whole life, I've been like this since I was 18 years old. You know what? I like it the way it is. You want to change some things? I'm open to it. The three batter minimum, that you know, stuff like that. Like I said, the paperwork. You're gonna change the paperwork, okay? But once you start messing with my game, once you start, once you start, you know, creating a situation where we're gonna put a runner on second, you know, in in, in extra innings, we're gonna we're going to, you know, like, like, no, this is not T-ball. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, let's like everyone get a chance. It's professional sports, you know? So, so I, I'm probably rocking the boat here. I'm probably making everyone that's listen, you know, aghast at, at my attitude, but like, you know, it's baseball, man. Leave it alone. It's been this way for a hundred something years. And, and, and if this generation just doesn't get it, well, maybe you'll skip a generation. You made a great point about uh, hockey, you know, because the way that I heard Ebbets Field could be like and, and, and baseball used to be like before all the bells and whistles where you're trying to get everybody coming into the stadium, regardless of whether they want to pay attention to the game at hand. The only New York Rangers game I've ever been to, the only New York hockey game I've ever been to, I was just so fascinated how every single person was not only in their seat, but paying attention to the hockey. And that I think that's a fabulous point that you just made, that if they don't want to pay attention to the game, well, you know, go get something else done, more, more power to us. Um, guys, I think we've definitely exhausted the, the rule changes, but obviously there's going to be much more to talk about as uh, it, it, it's going, uh, some of this stuff is going to be implemented and experimented with in the Atlantic. And, and, Mark, what you said about the whole runner on second in extra innings, that's probably that would be the most egregious thing that I, I, I could see uh, happening, and, and hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, but we, we can uh, come back to that another time. I, I want to go – I'm going to go back to you, Mark, and, and you brought up um, that you, you uh, were at QBC and you had a state of the Mets and you talked about Shelly Davis. And I, I, I wanted to see what your take is on, on how – the new hitting coach for the New York Mets is going to uh, uh, affect the, the hitters that, and, and obviously, you know, from year to year, 
we've seen it consistently be an issue with the with the team is as their pitchers don't have any support. Well, look, I I, I think that one of the things we brought about uh, at the QBC, and if you've never been, I don't know if you guys have ever been, but it, it really is just an awesome event. Um, and I've been doing it since the beginning. Uh, and, and State of the Mets was really like my way of kind of, you know, doing a an analysis of the team without the pom-poms, you know. Uh, no one's a bigger fan than me. I've forgotten more about the Mets than most people know. So, I, I you know, to me, the when I when I break it down, I break it down for real. You know, I know I know people don't want to hear sometimes when you know you're critical of the team or you don't like the way it was taken care of or you don't like the you know the moves that were made. But at the end of the day, this off season, I kind of liked a lot of what happened. Um, Chili Davis being, you know, the idea that the Mets weren't going to change their philosophy. Uh, their coaching philosophy. I saw a lot of things I liked that happened in the second half of the season. But one thing I didn't like and one thing that's been consistent is this team just does not produce with runners in scoring position. And whether you want to whether you want to downplay batting average with runners in scoring position, you know, certainly we can debate about that. One thing you cannot debate is what guys do with their OPS with runners in scoring position. You know, and what the Mets did, and I think it was on purpose – uh, what Brody Van Wagenen did is he brought in three guys in Wilson Ramos and, you know, uh, uh, with, um, you know, Robinson Cano and Jeff Lowry, when he's healthy, are three guys that had an OPS over 900, the runners in scoring position last year. And I think Ramos is, it was like 1.1 or some sick number. And that was a big problem, whether it was Lucas Duda, whether it was, you know, uh, Todd Frazier, whether it was whoever, you know. Mets have always struggled with runners in scoring position, and that's how you score runs, folks. You know, I know in the analytical world, you know, we talk about um, launch angle, and we talk about hitting home runs, and we talk about, you know, uh, ISO, and we talk about all these different things. But at the end of the day, all that matters is winning that game that day. You know, getting, getting the run home that day when that runner was on second, when that runner was on third. And I think Chili Davis and his approach – of getting rid of launch angle, of getting rid of trying to hit home runs every at-bat, every pitch, and putting the ball and hitting the ball where it's, where it's hit or where it's pitched and going. I mean, I, I just think it's such a great approach, you know, and, it's, and, it's, and I brought this up, and I, I'm sure you guys remember when Tony Bernazard instructed Jerry Manuel to have everybody hit to the opposite field, you know, that ridiculous batting drill that like basically put the whole team in a funk for like a whole season. Um, and the really led to shine, Jerry, the Oh my God. <laughs> oh, the worst, the absolute worst. Um, but we, we, my God, we could spend three hours on Tony Bernard, but, but um, I think adding Chili Davis, and I think somebody brought it up at QVC. They asked me what I thought of Chili Davis. And I said, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was fantastic to bring a guy in especially since the Cubs rejected him, you know, the snowflakes in that, in that locker room that couldn't handle, you know, a real baseball player telling them, you know, how to approach uh, hitting when they all have their own little personal hitting coach that's telling them to hit launch angle. Um, the fact that they would reject a veteran guy like Chili Davis who has rings on his fingers. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, I think adding Chili and having that, guy in, in, in the clubhouse 
being able who a guy who's going to sit down and talk hitting with you every single time you want to. There's something to be said for that. You know, uh, there's something to be said for, you know, that hardcore approach to old school baseball that sings with players like Cano, with players like Lowry, with players like Ramos. And I think when a guy like Conforto, guy like Nemo, Nemo, Nemo would hit for, you know, Hitler. I mean, that's, that, that's how good he, you know, that's how much of a, 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 a coachable player he is. But a guy like Conforto to be around, the Chili Davis to be around these guys, I mean, people are talking about Conforto as a potential MVP player. And I agree because he's going to have this, this, this protection around him, this veteran presence around him, this ability to kind of approach every at-bat um, like, like playing chess as opposed to trying to play pool, you know, put English on the ball and hit it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I hate the launch angle. I hate velocity, exit velocity. I mean, what, what's that, uh, the movie Major League when the guy's like, no, it's too high, it's too high, and the other guy says, who gives a shit, it's gone? Like, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Who cares how high he hit it? Who cares? Who cares how fast it went out of the ballpark? And I get it. I get there are people that are really into that. You know, but at the end of the day, all I care about is wins. And I think a guy like Chili Davis, with his approach, will bring in that kind of common sense approach to hitting that has been missing so long from that from that dugout. We Willie Keeler hit him where they ain't, as he used to say. I'm bringing it back to Brooklyn a little bit there. Um, in uh, early part, he played uh, for the Brooklyn Dodgers. So, Mike. You know, I, I unfortunately and fortunately used to be a Yankee fan. And uh, I, I did have a Jeter jersey, which I, uh, uh, it was a spring training jersey, which I ironically uh, ended up taking the Jeter part off just so it was authentically uh, just had the number two. But looking back on it, my favorite players weren't the Derek Jeters. They, I, I would have to say off the top of my head, Bernie Williams is probably my favorite Yankee from that era. But I also remember all these little uh, uh, complimentary players like Chili Davis. And we've talked about on here the little moves that Brody has made and also not, not the on-the-field sexy moves that Brody has made, including the analytical department, but as well Chili Davis. So... Do you think that, that Chili Davis could wind up being the sleeper hit of Brody's offseason? If we keep that within the context of batting coaches, <laughs> you know, I, I think Chili Davis is upper echelon. I, when you speak Chili Davis, most people know his resume. Throw another batting coach at me, not so much. Think about it. Think about all the batting coaches that you've heard come and go. How many of them really stick out? And how many of them can you identify for certain, you know, attributes or skills that they try to impart on, uh, upon their hitters? Well, Chili Davis definitely qualifies as somebody who does, in fact, that. You know, he has a track record. So in that respect, I'm very confident that he's on board, that, that he will help. Uh, and and get some of these guys in, in a better frame of mind when they step into the batter's box. I definitely believe he's going to. But, again, let's keep that within the context of hitting coaches, you know? 
Yeah, no, that's a good point as well. You, you, you know, you can only do so much. The it's it's the players when we're winning. It's the coaches when we're losing. Um, Rich, what what's your take on on the Chili Davis move? I think it's great. I, I I'm a big fan of the philosophy of you know put the ball in play. Good things happen when you put the ball in play. I've never believed the philosophy that says, you know, go for a launch angle. If you strike out, you strike out. It's just an out. That That is so not true. There are productive outs that can be made, advancing runners, things like that. I'm huge into manufacturing runs. I love a three-run home run as much as the next guy when it happens for my team, but I don't believe you could sit there and rely on that because, you know, like I've said many, many times before in this podcast, a good home run hitter hits about 35 a year, which is, which is basically, you know what, less than one a week of the baseball. That's a little more than one a week of the, of the baseball season. So, you know, you're re, you, if you base your offense on that premise, you're, you're basing your offense on something that doesn't come around very often. And, but what you can do is you can get somebody on base, whether that's via the walk or the hit, move that runner along, score that runner with another hit, sacrifice fly, and field ground out, suicide squeeze, there are so many different ways to score. And the fact that Chili Davis is going to emphasize putting the ball in play and fundamentally try to get away from the launch angle thing, I, I can't wait to see it play out. And especially, you know, someone said earlier, on a team that has struggled so mightily to score runs and, and been so been so poor with runners in scoring position, having someone come in and preach a new organizational philosophy of trying to put the ball in play, uh, I think it was a great hire, and I'm really looking forward to seeing the change. Yeah, me too. It's it's going to be very interesting, especially with um, Mickey Calloway going into his sophomore season. Uh, you know, and and it, Brody has been taking a lot of the 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 press and the pressure off of Mickey Calloway, but let's not mince words here, it, the pressure is definitely on Mickey to perform going forward, especially because, it, it, you know, Brody said, we're, we're not rebuilding, we're winning now. So it's going to be interesting to see that. And speaking of which, Mark, with the Grom extension talks, do you put a lot of stock in them getting it done before opening day? Do you think it's a big deal for them to get it, uh, to get it done before opening day? What is your take on potentially signing Degrom to an extension. I don't care. I really don't. Why? Why does anyone care? I I really like, and I I don't mean you guys shouldn't care. I'm just saying, like, why do we even talk about it? He's making seventeen million dollars this year. So if he throws his arm out and he doesn't have an extension, I think he'll make it. I think he'll get by, folks. You don't have to light (laughs) any candles for Jake Degrom. And I love Jake. I love the guy. Okay. He's hardcore. He, he, you know, he, he does it. But, but to hear him talk about, you know, I'm going to talk to my agents. I mean, that was so disappointing. Just shut up. You know, just all players, shut up about your money. I really, you know, the, even the guys making the minimum. The only people who should be complaining in Major League Baseball are the minor leaguers. Those are the only people who should be complaining is the guys who weren't bonus babies that play in double-A that make, you know, $2,000 a month. Those are the guys that they should be complaining because guys in the Major Leagues that are making the minimum $500,000 – I really don't have any, any sympathy. You know, now I don't have sympathy for the owners either, but I just don't want to hear any of them talk about money. Spend so much time, you know, like basically, I mean, there are people on, on, on Twitter who I love that, my God, they, oh, every tweet is about, oh, you know, by the way, 
You know, the Mets haven't signed to Carlson an extension yet. I mean, come on, man. You know, if, 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 you cannot control this ownership. You can't do it. I tried. You know, in 2011, I did my Choose the Mets movement, and I tried to, you know, organize fans. I tried to say, guys, let's, you know, they're on the, they're on the, you know, they're on the circle, the sumo circle. They're, they're, they're teetering on the edge. Let's, let's send the message home. Nobody cared because they wanted Mets baseball and they loved their Mets. So maybe it's because I'm older. Maybe it's because I'm wiser. I, I, I just don't want to talk about contracts. I don't want to talk about what guys are underpaid, overpaid extension. Just shut up and play baseball. Win games, win the World Series. I don't care. You'll all make your money at some point. I, it really just upsets me to no end. And I'm glad you asked me. And I'm sorry that <laughs> I'm sorry that I just let that blow out. But it really it drives me insane. Uh, you know, he's making 17 million dollars this year. Uh, I'm not lighting any candles for Jake. I'm just not. There's no reason for me to necessarily troll Matt Harvey right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. Matt Harvey showed us what you can do in this uh, town with $500,000, the league minimum. Uh, so I, I'm kind of with you on that one. The minor leaguers are the only ones who should be complaining, and, and uh, hopefully they can keep getting more press about how much of an indentured servant they are until they make the, the major leagues in many, many ways. Uh, but one of the best books, going back to one of my favorite New York Mets uh, that I already mentioned on, the, on here, was R.A. Dickey and, and, and what he would have to do just to get by playing from minor league uh, team to minor league team as, as he transitioned uh, as a knuckleballer. And, and that, that's, a, that's a great point you made, Mark. Well done. Um, yeah, you know, Rich, what, what do you think about that? I mean, you know, we've talked about here – one of the reasons why I want to sign him is just kind of keeping team consistency going. And plus, you know, the, the anti-Matt Harvey, while Matt Harvey's been, you know, while Matt Harvey was out in, in the front and taking all the press, Jacob deGrom came up in 2014 and has silently been the most consistent pitcher until the historic season he had last year. So after hearing Mark lay out his reasoning, what's your take? Was that to me, Sam? Yeah, Rich, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. So, well, you know, I, I'm i somewhere in the middle because I understand, you know, we sit here and, we, and we, we wonder about contracts and we really have no control over that whatsoever. We absolutely don't. Um, but on the same token, you know, we, we do want the team to win a World Series and, and – you know, God willing, we want the team to win a couple of them, you know, in our lifetime. And to the degree that Jake, Jacob DeGrom or anyone else is central to that mission, then, I, you know, I think it, it's okay, in my opinion, to, to say, well, geez, you know, if, if we're going to fulfill our mission of, of trying to win some World Series here and we have a great player, a great pitcher like DeGrom or any great player, I, I think it's okay to, to want that person to stay. Um, and to think about it and talk about it, although granted we have no control over it. And, but I do think the two are related. I, th I think it's hard to break them apart when you say your primary motivation is for the team to win championships. I, you, it, I think it's, it naturally flows that as part of that, you want the team to maintain its great players or bring in new ones. So, um, so I do think about the DeGrom extension. But on the other hand, 
you know, it, it's quite possible, and, and I hate to bring luck into it, but, you know, knowing the Mets' luck, they signed this guy to a major extension, and he blows his arm out this year. So that's possible, too. Um, so that's where I am. I guess that's not really much of an answer. Those are just more a collection of thoughts. And to wrap that up, Mike, uh, you know, I've, I've heard somebody remind us that he's had Tommy John surgery before. He's 31. Uh, is, is this just a motion running the day? Uh, for for New York Mets fans, uh, perhaps, perhaps I got a little bit of a colder view of uh, of the whole situation. Uh, you know, BBW talks a good game, but this contract with Degrom and Wheeler's pending free agency after the season—it's only a matter of time before we rediscover the guys behind the curtain. Ownership is only going to be able to hide behind BBW for so long. So I'm just curious to see how they resolve DeGrom's contract, whether they're going to sign him or not. And more acutely, I'm more intrigued by how they're going to handle Zach Wheeler. So yeah, let's let's roll with that. Zach Wheeler is uh, going into his free agent. He's a free agent next season. Are they, are they going to resign him? Uh, do are 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 they not trying to? Obviously, they've said that they don't want to uh, base it off of one half season that that Zach Wheeler has. He's, he's unfortunately he wasn't able to pitch for close to two years. Uh, Mark, what is your take on Zach Wheeler? Well, I love Zach. Um, for a number of reasons. Um, one, he's an Atlanta Falcons fan like me, so you know that that's a that's a that's a uh, you know a life changing you know relationship. But um, I, I was down on Zach for a long time because I felt that um, I really felt that Sandy Alderson, um, if you guys remember when you know Baseball Maverick when the book came out. Um, it was prior to the Cespedes deal. So up until that trade deadline, uh, you know, the Maverick was, was uh, you know, was it was a punchline for a lot of us uh, because the book is all about how, you know, you know, Sandy Alderson changed the Mets and Zach Wheeler hadn't really pitched, you know, how he transformed the Mets with this, you know, Beltron for Zach Wheeler trade. And so I was down on Zach Wheeler for a long time. And then, you know, watching him pitch and watching him deal and, and watching him just go about his business um, with such professionalism. Um, you know, I really dig him. And I think that uh, in this case, um, it's, a, it's different from the DeGrom extension. You know, obviously DeGrom is the ace of the staff. And, you know, part of my rant before was really just based on the fact that he's making $17 million. And for fans to worry about, you know, and again, you guys, I'm not saying that you guys can't be concerned. I'm just saying in general, you know, the, the day-to-day, you know, talk about it, the chatter about it, um, you know, just, just grates on me. Not the same for Wheeler because Wheeler is a guy that we kind of missed out on for most of the time he's been a Met because he's been hurt. And now that the Mets are starting to get good, you want to have a guy like Zach Wheeler on your staff. And you don't want – I don't look at, and I don't think the Wilpons do, do this, and they really should because this is the way the Yankees used to do it. When you're resigning your own guy, 
you can't think of that as adding to your payroll. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just folding that investment in your tool, into your original investment in the player. So if you're going to extend Jake, he's your homegrown guy. You, you can't count that as against your payroll. You know, um, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be um, penalized for the guys that you develop. You should reward them not because you're giving them more money because you want them to stay. You should just look at it as, wow, I found this thing. I put it in, and now I just want it to stay, and I want it to get better, and I want it to be part of my overall investment. And, and, and maybe if the Wilpons thought that way, about these, about these pieces that they've developed, about these pieces that, you know, have become part of the National League team, you know, the National League baseball team in New York that so many fans love and, and, and would, you know, just devote so much of their time to. You know, Wheeler's a guy, I don't want to trade him. I hate talking about that when a guy's doing well and, you know, oh, let's get assets, let's get assets. It's not a stock market, man. You know, that's what's missing from the game, you know, keeping the players that you love. Yeah, sentimentality, is it, is it costly? Yes, it is. It is costly. But when, when you constantly – it makes me yearn for the days of the reserve clause. It really does. You know, um, you really don't want to lose these guys. You want to keep them. So I'm not looking to trade uh, Zach Wheeler, even if he's pitching really well and the Mets aren't doing so great. I'm really not. Um, because I think at the end of the day, you want to keep guys like Zach Wheeler. That's that's a good point too, uh, Rich. What do you think? Well, you know Zach Wheeler. I I agree with Mark because Zach Wheeler may be coming into his own now. And here's a guy who the Mets missed out on two full seasons of, and you know had a bumpy beginning, and then he you know, he had that great game in 2014 when he went the distance against the Marlins, beating them one nothing. So you saw some glimpses. Then he goes ahead and misses two full seasons. He comes back in 17, is eh for half a season, not really great. And then in 18, in the second half of the season, he's really dominant. So you'd hate to walk away from this investment at this point. You seem like you'd be selling, quote unquote, selling low on him to let him go now. Um, it might make sense to, to retain his services because, again, it looks like his his trend line is clearly pointing up. So, uh, yeah, I'm all about retaining Zach Wheeler, and I'm all about retaining the entire starting five because, let's face it, that's the core of this team. If this team is going to win, they're going to win predicated on that starting rotation. And they've got to figure something out because you know, I hear all this talk, well, they can't possibly hold on to all five. Well, why not? You know, Wheeler, you sign him. You maybe have to sign DeGrom. Syndergaard's already talking. I'm sure it's just, you know, agent talking, but saying he'll test free agency. What's plan B? You know, if you start letting these guys walk and you say that you're, you know, you're building your team around a great starting pitching staff, you're letting these guys walk, what's plan B? Where do you replace quality starting pitchers like this? So I'd like to see Wheeler retained as well as the rest of them and keep the band together as a, a term we used a couple of podcasts ago. That's a good point. So, uh, Mike, you're, you know, you're the one who brought Wheeler up, and so to bring this all about, back around, what is your gut feeling? Wow, my gut feeling is he has a, a, a good season, and his last season is a mess. 
that they won't he, he'll become a free agent. They, the Mets won't meet his price, and he'll be pitching in somebody else's uniform next season. That's my gut feeling. It's not what I'm hoping for. So I'm just giving you the truth, answering your question. Hmm. Well, and and this was another good segue, uh, Rich. You mentioned all five, and uh, you also brought up uh, when we were prepping for this, Jason Vargas, who has the lowest spring ERA among the starters. Um, and and I'm going to start with you on this one, Mark. You know, do you, do you think that they should uh, rely on Jason Vargas for that fifth starter? Or do you still, or not still, because obviously I, I haven't talked to you about this opinion before, but, you know, Gallus, uh, Keiko and Gio Gonzalez are still out there. Do you think the Mets should be, re, you know, signing one of these guys and really rounding the starting staff out? You know, I, 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 I was in favor last year when they signed Vargas. You know, when, when we looked at the guys like Lance Lynn and guys like that that were available, uh, I kept coming back to Vargas for two reasons. Number one, uh, there was a familiarity with Island and, and Vargas. Uh, Vargas had one of his best years, um, you know, under Island. Uh, I'm a big fan, especially in this day and age of launch angle and all this other stuff of the soft-tossing lefty. I think that especially when he's your number five starter and a guy that has been around, a veteran who knows how to kind of ride a roller coaster of what a season can be. Uh, when you look at his season last year, now, you know, folks, he got off to a terrible start last year. People forget he got hurt in spring training. He really didn't have a spring training. And then they rushed him back, uh, you know, to get ready for the start of the season. And he was terrible for the first half. He was, ERA was like seven. But then, you know, as the season went on and, and, and as he got into a groove, like all soft-tossing lefties, uh, soft-tossing lefties, they, they find a groove and they find their, their place. Is, is he really, um, is Gio Gonzalez really that much better than Jason Vargas? Um, is, is you, know, uh, you know, spending the money it would take to get Keiko? I mean, I don't want to, whatever flexibility we have, it's not going to be that much. Do we really want to, like, lock up all that flexibility in the starting rotation and not be able to add a piece offensively if we need to at the deadline because we signed Dallas Keuchel. You know, again, this is not – we're not talking about a team that doesn't have pitching. You know, we have plenty of pitching. You know, if our worst starter is Jason Vargas, uh, I think we're doing okay. So I'm in favor of keeping Vargas. I'm in Cape – you know, I especially signed for this year. Um I like what Oswald did in the off season. I like what some of the, uh, you know, some of the other guys, uh, what they bring in AAA. Uh, now that our AAA team is in Syracuse and not Las Vegas, I think we that's going to play a huge role in how, you know, the Mets are able to complement their starters if there's an injury. Uh, you know, if they need to stretch somebody out. Um, so I, I'm I'm in favor of keeping Vargas. Uh, I like what I saw of him over the second half of the season. I like the way that Callaway and Island worked with him. And I just, I, I think when you change your horses all the time, again, it's not fantasy baseball. You know, some guys, once they find their role and once they find their spot, you know, then you can count on them, you know, and as long as they stay healthy, 
you know, you, you it's, it's one more day that you don't have to worry about your starting pitcher. So I, I would stick with Vargas right now. And I got to go to Rich next with this. Uh, um, do you think that we need to stick with him or make a statement after something like the Bryce Harper sign? Well, the thing about Vargas is he had a good second half, and I agree with what Mark said. You know, they they ran him out there on virtually no spring training uh, because that injury had he got hit in the in the hand with a line drive. He, you know, he missed most of spring training. They rushed him back. He's a touch and field pitcher. He needs his work. And some of his starts were just embarrassing last year. I mean, honestly, he, he was ter- beyond terrible. But then as he got some work and as he settled into a groove, I believe in the second half of the season, I read this the other day, his ERA was around 3.05 in the second half. So that's pretty damn good. I mean, when, when we were kids, you know, Mark, uh, Mike and I, 3.05 was like, yeah, it's kind of average, but now it's actually pretty good. And um, And so – he did settle in. Um, he's continued that, I know, in spring training. I know we what we say about spring training, but he's continued to pitch well. So hard to argue Dallas Keuchel wouldn't be an upgrade. I mean, that guy, you know, that guy was one of the best pitchers in the American League a couple of years ago. So if he's still desperate for work and he's willing to take a one-year deal, maybe Geo isn't the upgrade Keiko might be if you can get him on a one year deal and you throw Vargas as your you know your second lefty or third lefty in the bullpen after Zamora and Wilson and um and you have him as an insurance policy spot starter so summary uh for Geo I'll stick with Vargas based on what he did in the second half for Keiko I think I would make the move if he's willing to take a one year deal that I think uh if he is willing to take a one year deal uh I would say it's a no-brainer, depending on the finances, of course. It always comes back to the finances, Mike. But what is your take on it? Yeah, I'm with you on that one-year one, one deal, Rich. Uh, you know, the fact that Vargas is a lefty <laughs> makes him valuable. <laughs> I hate to say it. But, look, if the fifth spot, you know, is a, is a transient situation, so be it. And, and that's the way I would treat it. He's fine, uh, but you know, show me you're trying to improve upon it. At the very least, I want to see uh, a couple of auditions along the way. Uh, and, you know, I'd be willing to take starts away from Jason Vargas to facilitate that. Uh, but again, you know, as a lefty, he has value in the starting rotation. Uh, I, w- I don't want to take that away from him. And he did have a good second half, but he has no fan in me. So I think I'm being kind here. That's it. Uh, that's that's a good point. There's there's still so much uh, to talk about, and, and we're getting well into the night. So I'm I'm going to go here next uh, regarding the infield and the outfield with the you know the depth that Brody has has built here. Um, you know, there's some injuries, Mark. Of course, you mentioned Jed Lowry. Uh, Todd Frazier is starting to swing again. Uh, do you think it's going to be too much of a log jam, or do you think it's going to be one of those things where, you, you know, the cliche, you can never have enough, enough depth? And if you want to start broadly and then maybe uh, go to first base, because obviously it's always a point of contention, and if Frazier's coming back too, uh, you know, it's not necessarily Dominic Smith, not necessarily Peter Alonzo. 
could you see them going where they had talked about with possibly Todd Frazier moving across the infield? Well, right now, um, if Todd Frazier is looking like he's the um, – remember uh, Operation Shutdown in 2000 when Timo Perez got a chance to play right field every day <laughs> because uh, I, I can't think of his name. I'm, I'm having a brain lock, but the right fielder that the Mets got from the Astros with uh, Hampton. Bell, uh, Bell. Right, Bell, right. Bell. Bell. He 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 went from Derek Bell. He went from having like this great off season, and he was like a terrible, terrible player in the second half of 2000, and then he got hurt. It was like the best injury ever, and then Timo Perez took over and gave them a spark for the last, you know, for the for the LDS and the LCS. Well, I think this is what's going to happen with Todd Frazier. I, I'm almost glad that he got hurt because I was really surprised that after they made some of the deals that they made, that they kept him. Um, and I love Todd Frazier. Todd Frazier was a Gotham baseball, two-time Gotham baseball college player of the year when he was at Rutgers. So I knew Todd Frazier, you know, way before uh, he became a Cincinnati Red. And so there is a lot of nostalgia there. There is a lot of um, feeling that, you know, he's a guy that I'd love to see be succeed. But, you know, I saw a lot of Todd Frazier last year, and he was a guy that never hit with runners in scoring position and, you know, he was a guy that, that, you know, came with a – I'm sure all those things are fine, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to produce. So I love the idea that McNeil is going to get the opportunity to play a lot of third base. Um, I don't really know enough about some of these other guys. Jed Lowry's a guy I've always loved. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're, if you're talking about, you know um, – you know, being able, it's really going to be up to Callaway to find these guys at bats. I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. I don't know. You know, I saw Jose Reyes play a lot of innings last year. And I really thought that was to the detriment of Callaway that, you know, he was a first year manager that wasn't willing to stick up, you know, stand up to, uh, you know, stand up to the GM and say, I'm not playing this guy. He's garbage. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know enough about Callaway right now. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball to know whether or not all this depth is going to work out. Um, you hope that everything kind of balances out as far as, you know, you know, is McNeil going to play third? Is he going to play left field? You know, uh, is Don Smith going to make the, make the team uh, for the first two weeks of the season, which I think is going to happen, and I won't have a big problem if it does. Uh, I understand the, you know, the reality of 11 days. I just feel like at the end of the day, I wish that I had a better idea of what Callaway is capable of as far as mixing and matching these guys. Because, you know, it's one thing for us to sit here and, and, and try to strategize, right? Um, I, I know what I saw from McNeil last year, and I saw a guy that just hit line drives. You know, and that's what this team needs. Line drives, you know, line drive, doubles in the gap, you know, the occasional home run to clear the bases. And and I, I just didn't see Todd Frazier do much of that last year. I know Jed Lowry's coming off a really good year where he did that, and he's always been a pretty solid player. So, you know, I don't know a lot about J.D. Davis, except that we traded prospects to get him. I still don't understand that. I don't know a lot about him. Uh, I've only seen a limited about, uh, a limited amount of him playing in spring, so I don't know if I'm rooting for him to win, win a position. Um, 
it's all just a jumble guys. And, and I think that would, it would be, I think it would be very, very um, kind of presumptuous for me to predict how it's all going to play out. Cause I really don't know. And again, it comes down to Callaway being able to mix and match. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, it, it all does kind of come back to Callaway, Rich, when you're thinking about uh, this log jam, if you will, um, to to quote uh, a word you have used uh, about it. The, it's not an 800-pound gorilla in the room, but it, it's going to be very telling and, and past the first 11 days as to as to how Mickey Callaway has adjusted uh, from last year. So, so what's your take on, on the infield and outfield situation? Well, uh, agreed. I mean, like I've said before, the Mets are kind of trying to do what the Cubs did, which is have a lot of players that they could shuffle around, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Cubs have been successful with it. As long as these guys are you know, competent defenders at the positions they put them in, there's nothing wrong with that model. I mean, the Ben Zobris kind of a thing, you know, they've had the different outfielders. The Cubs are always, seems like they're always running new guys in different places, but it seems to work. And if the Mets can do that, that's great. But two things. Yes, what, what you guys have said, which is Mickey has to be able to do that correctly and manipulate a bench like that. And, you know, Madden's the master of it, but can Mickey do it? That's a big question. Second thing is they they have too many bodies right now to even start thinking about that. So they have to pare down the bodies, and what's that going to look like? So, you know, I say humorously, they sent Tebow over to minor league camp, okay. Um, but what are they going to do with guys like, you know, Carlos Gomez, he's going to start playing shortly. They say, you know, maybe by the end of the week or so. So what are they going to do with him? What are you going to do with Gregor Blanco? Release him? Put him in, I don't think he's going to accept an assignment to AAA. What are you going to do with him? Uh, Keon Broxton, Juan Lagares, how do you play that out? McNeil in the outfield, McNeil in the infield, Lowry, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo, um, all these bodies, Echeverria, they've got to get rid of a few of them. Um, and I say get rid of, not necessarily out of the organization, but you know, off the, the 25-man opening day roster. And then they have to figure out how and whether or not Mickey can, can do the activity of moving the pieces around to get the most out of them, because that's the kind of team this is going to be. It's not a team laden with a lot of superstars. You know, they've got Cano. You can call Conforto a budding superstar, but it's not a team with a lot of superstars. It's a team that will have some quality players that Mickey has tried to get the most out of. But step one is going to be making some decisions, and they have to start to thin the herd a bit. Can I interject just one second before you go to the next person? Um, You mentioned Carlos Gomez. And... I, I admit I have a man crush. I don't know if you guys saw when they signed him. I kind of went a little bananas. Um, the thing, here's my thing about Gomez, and I, I tweeted out, I guess, about a couple of months ago. 